0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. And if you have been around much at all over the past year, this should sound quite familiar to you. We've made reference to it quite a bit. This is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, and before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And we thank you for your word that you've given to us. Lord, there are so many words that try to uh, shape us into who we should not be. Lord, we pray that your word would shape us, shape us this morning, shape us every day, more into who you made us to be as those who are in right relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Turning then to our New Testament reading, it's Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Galatians 3, starting in verse 15, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law... Then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning I have some news for you in case you hadn't checked your calendars lately. Today is December 12th which means by my calculations, Christmas is in 13 days. Now, my question for you is, does that seem really far away or really close? <laughs> I'm guessing for some of you, 13 days still seems pretty far away. And that's if you're very young. <laughs> and I'm guessing, see one hand back there. And I'm guessing that if it seems really close, it's because you're a little older and you've got things to do. (laughs) And you are looking at that time as being very short in comparison to what you know you need to do before that day arrives. Um, And I ask this question because I think it helps to illustrate the different perception of the same amount of time. And I think it helps us to think about the different perceptions in the same amount of time uh, when thinking about our perception of time versus God's perception of time. Think about it. If God is doing lots of things, lots of things, and has been around for a very long time, then the amount of time that we perceive as long may be perceived to him as very short. And so we're going to look this morning at the way that uh, Matthew starts connecting the dots to the promises God made all the way back to Abraham and shows how those come to fulfillment in Jesus 2,000 years later. Think about that, 2,000 years. Does that sound like a long time to you? Probably so. You think that sounds like a long time to God. Probably not. (laughs) And so uh, let's take a look at... Matthew chapter 1. This, by the way, is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, if you're allowed to have favorites. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, I know, it's a genealogy. This is the part that you probably want to skip. I'm telling you, my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. We're just going to read the first six verses today, but uh, we will look at more of it uh, next week. And we'll actually stop halfway through verse 6 this week. But here's what it says. Matthew opens his book to tell the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how does he begin? He begins like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab; Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. There you go. It's okay. We're going to go back through this a little bit because here's the thing. For many people, you hear a genealogy, you hear a list of names, and they sound like weird names. A lot of them are not names we use anymore. Some of these we still use, but others are very odd to our ears. And so we hear this list of weird names, and we go, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm telling you, my favorite chapter, one of my favorite chapters for a reason. Um, And I sometimes talk about genealogies in the Bible as being like high school yearbooks. In that... Yours is interesting to you, but no one's else is interesting to you. You know what I'm saying? Like you look at somebody's yearbook, and if you don't know anybody in there, it's just a yearbook. But when you look at your yearbook, you're like, oh, I remember so and so and so and so, and oh my goodness. You know what I mean? The genealogies in the Bible read like both of those, depending on your familiarity with the Bible. (laughs) And so if you know these names, as you're reading this list, you go, oh, my goodness, I know so-and-so, and and I know so-and-so. If you don't know these stories, it's just a list of names. You go, ah, skip it, I guess. I don't know. So let me help you understand who some of these people are as we go through this. Because this starts, uh, of course, with Matthew saying this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we know he's going to be connecting him to David and Abraham. You may already know those names if you don't know any of the rest of these. But this is connecting who Jesus is all the way back to Abraham, 2,000 years earlier. Abraham, the man who God picks out of everybody and says, it's through you that I'm going to bless the whole world. And as I say, we've been looking at that Genesis 12 passage quite a bit over the past year because we've been going through the book of Genesis. And as we've gone through the book of Genesis, we've seen that uh, you have in the Garden of Eden at C- After creation, we have Adam and Eve, and they're relating properly to God and to all of creation, to each other, until the day they decide to do what's right in their own eyes instead of listening to the word of God. They turn away from God. Everything breaks down. They go out of the garden. And from then on, we have this uh, continual breakdown between how things are supposed to be and how they are now. This breakdown of how people relate to God this breakdown between how people relate to each other, this breakdown of how people relate to all of creation. Everything seems very broken from that point on because it is. But in Genesis 3, 15, this is one of the things we sang about, or that I sang about earlier uh, in that song, At Last the King, is when God comes to Adam and Eve and the serpent there in the garden, before they even leave the garden, a promise is made. And speaking to the serpent, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, the day will come when God will do away with the problem of evil, the problem of sin and death. What has broken this relationship will be fixed, will be healed. But then as we follow the story along, we see it just, everything seems to spiral down. And so you have things, it doesn't get fixed right away. You start having things like uh, where every inclination of the human heart is only wicked all the time, or only evil all the time in the days of Noah. And so there's this flood. And then after the flood, you go, okay, well, now it's going to be good. Everything's going to be fixed now, right? The flood fixed it. But no, after the flood, it says still. Every inclination of the human heart, still wicked. I didn't fix it. And you follow the story on, you get to things like the Tower of Babel, where everybody says, well, we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to do this our way. Well, this is the same problem we had back in the garden. And so the people are scattered again. But it's in this moment then that God picks Abraham, Abram at the time, picks Abram and says, it's through you. I am going to do this. <laughs> it's through you that I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world. And so then you follow along Abram's story, and you see he gets his name changed to Abraham, and he uh, is promised that he's going to have a son. But then a year goes by, another year goes by, another year goes by. no son. How long, O oh Lord? <laughs> do we have to wait for you to fulfill your promise to Abraham? to give him a son. We don't know. But then, in God's good timing, he provides the son. A son is given to Abraham and Sarah. And we think, okay, this is the son. This is going to be the one who's going to fix everything, who's going to be, bring about that blessing to the whole world. And then it's like the Bible goes out of its way to let us know that it's not Isaac, this son that Abraham has had. And it's not his son, jacob or esau and it's not any of their sons and yet it's going to be through this line and so this is uh what we read about in genesis is the failure of isaac to be that blessing to the world the failure of jacob to be the blessing to the world the failure of all of his 12 sons and one daughter to bring about this blessing to the world And yet the promise is still there. And so as we follow these generations, we continue to follow this promise. And every generation, there's kind of this, is this going to be the generation when it happens? Is this going to be when God brings about this blessing to the whole world? And so you have Abraham, the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We haven't talked about this one yet, but we will in early January. So for now, I'll just tell you, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. That's where these kids come from. It's a weird story. We're not talking about it today. Come in January. We'll talk about it then. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab; Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. And we're still... Waiting, generation after generation after generation, when is God going to send the one through whom it's going to be this blessing for all the world? How long, O oh Lord? Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Let me tell you this story in brief. This is the part of the story where uh, the people have come Into the promised land or they're getting ready to come into the promised land And as they are getting ready to come into the promised land the the land that god had promised to abraham all those years before all those Generations before they still aren't in there They get to the edge of the land and they send some spies in to see what the land is like and there is a canaanite prostitute by the name of rahab And she recognizes that the god of israel is the one true god And she helps those spies and ends up actually not only uh, surviving the conquest, but joining up with Israel. Not only joining up with them, marrying into this family and uh, actually becoming a part of this family line that we read about in Matthew chapter 1. Not an Israelite man. That's what we've been reading about mostly. A Canaanite woman. And not just a Canaanite woman, a Canaanite prostitute. She's in. Why? Why is she in? Same reason Abraham is. (laughs) She believes God. She believes he is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he's going to do. She's in. They have this time then after Israel gets into the land, there's this time that's known as the period of the Judges. The end of the book of Judges talks about how in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like a good thing or a bad thing? That everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Uh, Huh? (laughs) Huh? My guess is, the tendency is to see if I do what's right in my eyes, that's good but if you do what's right in your eyes, that's probably not good because we disagree on some things, (laughs) right? (laughs) When it says that everybody was doing what's right in their own eyes, it's the same kind of thing that is uh, what we see in the Garden of Eden replayed. The reason that Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat it is because that is what looks right in their eyes, not because that's what God has said to do. Now we see the same thing, but with a whole nation of people doing what, eh, It's right in my eyes. And actually, if you read the end of the book of Judges, like the whole way the book of Judges goes, it's just a downward spiral until you get to a statement like that where you get some of the most disturbing stuff in the whole Bible right there at the end of Judges. When everybody's doing, it's right in their own eyes. But not what's right. But it's in this period that we also get this uh, beautiful story in the book of Ruth. A story of a man named Boaz who is actually living and following the ways of God to the point that when a woman shows up who is not Israelite, she's Moabite, uh, shows up, she had married married an Israelite man in Moab and he had died and she says to her mother-in-law who is also widowed, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Uh, Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. It's the same kind of thing we saw with Rahab, right? She is um, joining up with God and with his people. And when she does this, she is welcomed in. But here's the thing. Boaz doesn't know all that part yet, but he still welcomes her. He still treats her as somebody worthy of respect and of kindness even as a Moabite widow. Long story short, actually short story story. You should read it. It's only like four pages. Book of Ruth, beautiful thing. Boaz ends up uh, marrying Ruth. They have a son. At the end of the book, there is this great rejoicing on behalf of Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. Because for her, at the beginning of the story, she thought all hope was lost. For her, for her family. But at the end, she's rejoicing with this new uh, grandson that she has named Obed. The promise of a future for her family, also the promise of a good future for her. And then it ends by letting us know that it's Obed, who's the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of King David. This is the uh, story we get in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, when First uh, Samuel, when Samuel the prophet goes to anoint a king and uh, to pour oil on his head to mark him out as the one that God has chosen to lead His people. And uh, first, he anoints Saul because that's the one the people have chosen. But then. Saul's heart is not with God. So God rejects him as king and says, no, I want you to go to the house of Jesse. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse and he has a lot of sons. And as Samuel looks down the line, he's like, that one looks pretty kingly. And God says, not him. That one, how about him? No, not him. All the way down till you get to the youngest one, David, who's out tending the sheep. This is the one that God has chosen to be the king. And so Samuel pours oil on his head anointing him, marking him out as the one God has chosen to lead his people. We're going to talk more about David next week and his relationship with Jesus. But here's where I want us uh, to note a couple things. One, when Samuel pours the oil on on David's head, this anointing, the word that's used for anointing in Hebrew is where we get the word anointing. Messiah. That's what it means is the anointed one. That there's going to be, and then we get this promise all throughout of someone that God is going to send. That is going to be the one that he has chosen to lead his people, to be the true and rightful King, the one who is going to fulfill that promise all the way back to Abraham of blessing to the whole world. In Isaiah, you know, we've been watching you follow the story from Abraham on, and you're following the story of Israel and, these, and the people and the kingdom that we have there. In Isaiah, it says, it is too small a thing, the Lord says, for you to be uh, my servant to restore the tribes of Israel and bring back uh, those of Jacob I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. As we have followed along in all this story so far, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, his brothers, and go on down the line, nobody's doing that. Nobody is fulfilling this. And so generation after generation after generation, we're still waiting, waiting, and waiting for God to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. But why is it that the angels said, On that very first Christmas, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Why is that? Because Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, is the long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God has chosen to lead his people and the one through whom there is blessing for all people everywhere, the whole world. This is what uh, Matthew recognizes. And so he takes it back all the way to Abraham and shows how that has been a long wait for people, but the wait is over. The Messiah has come. The Messiah has come, and that is Jesus. Every time you read uh, where it says in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, Christ is just the Greek way of saying Messiah. It's a way of identifying Jesus as the one who's the fulfillment of all these promises made to Abraham and to his descendants, promises made to David that we'll look at next week. So, one, Jesus is this anointed one, he is this Messiah. Two, this is good news. (laughs) This is good news that should bring us great joy. And three, we are still waiting. Jesus talked about the reasons that he came. As you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can find several places where Jesus says, I have come that you may have life, have it to the full, that kind of thing. But he also says, I will come. So in John 14, 13, 14, he says it several times in that section. But you're probably familiar with this one, where Jesus says, uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be be where I am. You know the uh, way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is what we're talking about as the, the answer to that problem all the way back in the Garden of Eden. When everything broke down. Jesus is the one through whom we have uh, healed, reconciled, redeemed relationship between us and God, between us and each other, between us and all of creation. And we are still waiting for him to come again, but he has promised that he will. And just in the same way that they waited for so long, and we're wondering, is that even going to happen anymore? Or has God forgotten? Galatians tells us it happened when the fullness, in the fullness of time. Another way of saying is when the time was just right, God sent his son. And so we believe that when the time is just right, He will send him again. And that is what we are waiting for now. But now we are waiting, not wondering if God will uh, fulfill his promises. We've seen him do it. We've seen him do it time and again. We know the good news of uh, Jesus and we don't wait apart from Jesus. Now we wait with him. Um, And with that already restored relationship. And yet not yet completely restored as we uh, await for that coming day when all will be made well. And so this week, as we are uh, in this season of Advent, this time of waiting, we remember that God's timescale is very different than our timescale. But he knows what he's doing. And we have no matter what else is going on, reasons to rejoice in the goodness of God and in his perfect timing to bring about the good that he has promised. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And Lord, we do um, come to you this morning in... Recognition that this, um, this season is and can be a very joyful season. Lord, well, we also recognize um, that for many, this is a very difficult and hard season. A season of uh, profound grief where we feel uh, the, the brokenness of the world We feel the pain of that brokenness maybe more um, acutely than we feel the, um, the healing and the reconciliation and the redemption. Lord, remind us again during this season that this brokenness and the pain of this brokenness is the very reason that Jesus has come and the reason that he will come again that all, all the pain and the sorrow and the tears will one day finally be wiped away. Lord, help us to wait. Help us to wait well. Lord, help us to wait with eager expectation, knowing that you are faithful and that you are good, and that in our waiting your love continues forever. Lord I pray that even in the midst of difficult times, you'd remind us of the joy and give us taste here and now of the joy, of your presence with us and the joy of that expectation of closeness with you forever and the day when all will be made well. we pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.